Amen, amen. If you believe that his name is powerful to change a life, can you say amen this morning? Amen, amen. amen. It's wonderful to sit down here in the front and hear all of your voices singing so loudly and wonderful. It's, it's awesome. So welcome to our second Sunday here in the new building. Let me start out by uh, just giving a special welcome to anyone who came last week and then experienced the traffic jam in the parking lot. And then you decided to come back this week. You know, my prayer for you is may the Lord richly bless you and make his face shine upon you. Right? You guys are uh, wonderful in every way. Thank you for coming back. Um, I also want to say to our college students, thank you for coming back today um, after your spring break. It is, it's different when you're not here. and We miss you when you're gone. So college students, welcome back as well. And uh, if you're new with us today, really you are kind of like a special honored guest. Um, if you're new with us today, thank you for being here if this is your first time. Um, we are a church that exists to help people know Christ and then to make him known in this world. That's really why we're here and we are so glad that you are here today. So welcome to everyone who's joining us today, whether here in person or online. Um, we are so glad to have you. Today we're starting a new sermon, a new sermon series called Brand New. Um, Jesus Changes People is the kind of the subtitle of this series. And I want to tell you a couple things about this sermon series as we get ready to go into it. Um, first is the what, right? What is, what's going to be covered in this sermon series? Here's what's going to be covered. In these, these sermons over the next four weeks or so, we are going to be looking at different passages of Scripture where somebody met Jesus and he changed their life. Right? This is what we're going to be looking at, Jesus changing people. Each Sunday, we're going to kind of focus on a different type of person that Jesus changes. People with certain backgrounds, people with certain struggles. We're going to be talking about the types of people that Jesus changes. But not only are we going to look at the scripture stories about this, we're also going to hear personal stories from people within our church. And so every week, we're also going to have an accompanying video where people just kind of keep it real and share their story. And they are transparent and raw and unfiltered in many ways on the way that they share their story. So speaking of which, today we're going to share that first story at the end of my sermon today, and I just want to give a heads up to all of you who have little children in the room. Um, this particular story is probably a little bit, uh, you know, PG-13, if you want to call it that way. It's going to, if you have young kids with sensitive ears in the room, you want to be discerning about whether or not you keep them in here during that video. Uh, just as an example, my two youngest kids are eight and uh, almost 12, um, and so we will, almost 11, I got to get the, the ages right, my wife's looking at me in the front like, come on, I'm getting older, okay, here we go, all right, so my two, ki my two youngest kids are 8 and 11, and we would not, um, we would not have their, their little persons in here while this video is played, so be discerning on that, parents, while you're in here, stories of life change from the scripture and from people in our church, that's the what of this sermon series, um, Here's the why. Why are we doing this sermon series? Church family, here's why we're going to do it. Because we believe Jesus changes people, right? We believe that Jesus can change a life. We 100% believe that because of Jesus, you don't have to do what you've always done because you don't have to be who you've always been, right? By God's grace, Jesus can change your life. He didn't just do it then in Bible times. He does it now in our time today. In fact, let me just say it this way. If your life is one that has been changed by Jesus, can you just say amen? And if, if your life is still being, still being changed by Jesus, can you say an even louder amen? Right? His, his, his power and his work within us is constantly transforming and changing who we are. So we are grateful to be people being changed by Jesus. That's why we're doing this sermon series, because we believe Jesus still changes people. If you have your Bible today, you can open it up to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, that's where we're going to be today. Um, 
what we're going to see today is that Jesus changes sinful people. Just kind of a general category to get us started in this sermon series. Jesus changes sinful people. I love hearing your Bibles open and your pages turning. It's a beautiful sound to hear. Um, as you're turning there, let me just tell you a, a couple memories that I have of church life, okay? Years ago, someone left a coffee mug in our church sanctuary. I reached down to pick it up and lifted it up, and I immediately said, whoa, because that particular coffee mug reeked of alcohol. We, a few years ago, a couple years ago, were meeting back at the Fairfield Commons Mall. While we were meeting in the mall, we saw a little bag on the floor. Somebody went over to pick it up. They looked inside the bag. It had marijuana in it. When we had our outdoor services and we're meeting outside in the parking lot, someone called me one Sunday and said, you know what, I want to, uh, I'm thinking about bringing a friend with me, but my friend is an ex-con, just got out of jail, just got out of prison. My wife and I were watching a documentary type film um, a few weeks ago called What is a Woman? And not necessarily saying that that video is super family friendly or anything like that, uh, again, Sensitive little ears, you know, if, if you're going to decide to watch it. But we were, as we were watching that video, one of the things that we saw on that documentary was a, a woman who, at some point in her life, you know, she transitioned to look like a male. But then, as time went by, greatly regretted that decision, had all sorts of physical complications and other challenges. But she couldn't reverse that decision despite her best efforts to do so. And, and because of that, she felt not only pain and the difficulty physically of that, but also she felt the social aspects of it. She felt ostracized. She felt like she didn't belong. She felt like she was kind of looked down on wherever she was. And after we were watching that video, Rachel looked over at me. My wife, Rachel, looked at me and she said, Jason, our church needs to be ready for people like this. Right, because sooner or later, you know, this is kind of trendy right now, and the trend's probably going to continue, and people are going to make their choices, but eventually enough time's going to go by, and the physical effects and other social effects and emotional effects are going to take place, and people are going to have regrets, but they're not going to be able to reverse all the choices that they made, and they're going to wonder, is there any community in this world who will accept me? Is there anybody in this world who's going to love me, even though I feel shame and regret? Is there going to be a community that will accept me? Let me ask you a question. What would you do if someone walked into this room today and they reeked of alcohol? What would you do if somebody walked in this room today and they were high? What would you do if somebody walked in this room today and you remember seeing their mugshot or their picture or their story on the news? What if somebody walked in here and they were regretfully trans and wondered, is there anybody who will receive me? Is there any place where I belong? What would you do if somebody that our culture would label a big sinner walked into this room? What would we do? Today, we're going to look at a story where a woman who was labeled as a big sinner walked into the room with Jesus. Here's how this message is going to develop. We're going to look at Luke chapter 7. We're going to work our way from verses 36 down through verse 50. Like always, I want to make some teaching points along the way. We're going to bring it home with 
two applicational takeaways for us, and then we're going to watch a powerful testimony video from a UBCer named Sophie who shares her story. And after that, I want to tell you what's going to happen today. Today, you are going to be given an invitation to respond to Jesus. You are going to be given an opportunity to invite Jesus into your life and to make his home in you and change you. And you will have the opportunity at the end to receive prayer for whatever sort of prayer needs you have. So that's coming. So be listening closely today. Might the Lord be calling you to respond to Jesus today? Because here's the thing. Jesus changes people. He changes sinful people. He can change you and make you new. So let's start in verse 36. Verse 36 says this. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. So right away, we see here that Jesus is invited to have dinner with a Pharisee. So let's remember who the Pharisees were, right? Pharisees um, were a group of religious Jewish leaders. Um, They were fully, you know, dedicated to memorizing scripture, applying scripture. They were known as being very pious and set apart, kind of the religious elite because they knew all 600 plus Jewish laws and they followed them and then they added some of their own laws on top of them and followed those as well, right? So this group was super dedicated to keeping the law and keeping the rules, but this group was also super dedicated to rejecting Jesus. No group in the scripture was more resistant to the person and the work of Jesus than the Pharisees. So, we see here that a Pharisee invited Jesus over for dinner. Why would that happen? These 15 verses or so that we're looking at today, it doesn't exactly tell us why the Pharisee invited Jesus over, but we've got to remember when we study the Bible, all of our scripture texts fall within a context. There's a bigger picture of what's going on. So if you were just to look back one chapter in your Bible to Luke chapter 6, Uh, verses 7 through 11, you would see there that it says that the Pharisees, um, from that point forward, they um, they were looking to trap Jesus. They were looking to find reasons to accuse him of wrongdoing. They were looking to find reasons to discredit his ministry and uh, try to show people he's not really who he says he is. He's not worth following. So a Pharisee, I believe, in order to trap Jesus, invited him over into a dinner gathering, and, of course, Jesus accepts the invite. So, Jesus goes to dinner. He's reclining with them at table. And then we read this. Look at verse 37. It says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet. And anointed them with the ointment. So this woman decides she's going to come and she's going to see Jesus. We don't know how she heard of him. Maybe she heard of the miracles he worked. Maybe she heard of his words and his teachings that were impacting so many. Maybe she heard that this is the one who has the, the power to forgive sins. So she wanted to come see him. Whatever the reason was, she's coming. And, and as she comes to Jesus, she starts to lavish honor on him. I mean, she is... She's bringing her flask of alabaster ointment and, and she's doing what? She's, she's sitting at his feet. She's beginning to cry and the tears are falling down to his feet and she's washing his feet and then drying them with her hair and pouring the ointment all on Jesus' feet. I mean, it's, it's kind of a dramatic scene right here. Imagine being at a party where this goes on. Hey, we're going to have you over for dinner tonight. All of a sudden, a sketchy woman walks in and suddenly there's this dramatic scene with Jesus. Like, she's... You know, she, it seems to me like 
she's crying so much that there's enough tears for her to wash his feet. That's a lot of tears. I, I believe this woman is truly emotionally breaking down. She goes even further. She starts to kiss Jesus' feet, and she anoints them with the oil that's in her flask. You guys, just picture that, you know? What would it be like to be there at that moment? The surprise. The awkwardness. The uncertainty of what's going on and how this could come about. There might have even been a little uneasiness, especially if you were a Jew, because it says that this woman was a what? A sinner. And that's an interesting description because you know what this word sinner means? It's, a, it's like a, um, a label that the Jews would give to women who were sexually immoral. Adulterous. Immoral, immoral dishonorable. Women who had sexually sinned in some way. And now this woman is lavishly honoring Jesus. This immoral woman. Which is why... The Pharisees respond. The Pharisee responds the way he does. Look at verse 39. Verse 39 says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So notice that the Pharisee, of course, is saying this to himself. You know, he's kind of keeping it inside, kind of judgmental, like a whole bunch of religious people often are when they see sinful people. He's keeping it to himself. Obviously, this man Jesus, who everybody's hyping up, if he was truly a prophet of God, then he would know what we all know, and that she's a sinner, she's sexually questionable, she's got this reputation, and if he knew that, if he was God, he would know that, so he wouldn't let her touch him, let alone kiss his feet. If Jesus knew who and what she was. You see how the man, see how the religious man is labeling her? If, if he knew who and what she was. He dropped the label on her. He labeled her with a certain identity. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm glad that Jesus changes who we are. I'm thankful that he makes us new. We see that this woman had a reputation. People knew who and what she was. The Pharisee thought that Jesus should know that as well. She wasn't just a regular sinner. She had a reputation as a sinner. She was known. She might have even been a professional sinner. She had a reputation. And remember, these are the Pharisees, right? They would have had nothing to do with her. They would have wanted to keep themselves away from her because they didn't want to be around her, becoming unclean, becoming unholy themselves. I love how uh, R.C. Sproul, a pastor who passed away several years ago, um, you know, he said the Pharisees believed in salvation by segregation. They just kept themselves away from all the other sinful people as if they themselves weren't one. You know, the Pharisees thought that Jesus should avoid sinners. But what do we know about Jesus? Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I came to call sinners to repentance. So this lady, this sinful lady, makes her way into the dinner. She makes her way to Jesus. The Pharisee thinks Jesus is no man from God. If he was, he would know what kind of woman she was and he would avoid her just like everybody else. Now look at verse 40. Verse 40 says, And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Well, just stop right there for a second. I love how it says Jesus answered him. Because remember, this man was just saying things to himself. 
You know, he was just kind of talking to himself, judgmentally, kind of um, condemning her in his heart. And then Jesus responds and says, I got something to say to you. This man would be like, whoa, right? Aren't you, you know, Jesus, he can discern the thoughts and intentions of our heart, not just our actions. And he very literally did so here for this man that we see. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon answered, say it, teacher. So Jesus here is about to go into a parable. As you know, a, a parable is a kind of an earthly story with a heavenly or spiritual meaning. And Jesus goes into this parable, and here's what he says. He says, verse 41, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. So Jesus begins, and he starts presenting two different types of people. One, both of them debtors, but one with a large debt, one with a small debt. The denarii in the Jewish culture at the time of Jesus, was worth one day's wage. So if you can see here that there's a man who has the debt equivalent of 500 days wages, right? That's like a year and a half time frame. Um, so in modern day terms, we might say that this man had about a $60,000 debt. If an annual salary is $40,000, a year and a half's worth, $60,000, one person had a $60,000 debt. And then we see that the other person in the story owed 50 days wages, so a little over a month and a half. And so just to kind of use round numbers, we see that the second person maybe had the equivalent of like a $6,000 debt. So that's the parable in today's terms. That's what we're talking about. So Jesus continues the parable and he says, when they could not pay, he, the lender, canceled the debt of both. Right? It's gone. It's considered paid in full. Everything's brought present. Jesus says, now which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Guys, sometimes I read the scripture and sometimes I just start to chuckle because you, know, you just wonder what people's personalities were like. But I can just imagine this Simon the Pharisee, like the one, I, you know, I suppose, the one who had the larger debt. And I just think to myself, like, what do you mean you suppose? Like, don't be an idiot, man. You're like, you're a smart, educated guy. Like, of course, the guy with the, Ten times larger debt. Like, he's going to be the one who's more grateful, you know. Jesus, you should get it. Uh, and Jesus comes, and he's so much more gentle and loving and kind, you know, like Jesus is. And Jesus politely and graciously and kindly replies, Sir, you have judged rightly. And here's what happens next. Look at verse 44. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. So imagine Jesus talking to Simon. And he keeps talking to Simon, but he turns and looks at this woman. And he says, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And Simon, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. See, guys, in that culture at that day, it was common there was common courtesy extended when guests came into your home it was common to have a water bowl and a towel near the door so that when people came in with their dirty feet walking around in sandals on dirt streets all the time you would be able to go into somebody's house and either you yourself could wash your feet or there would be a servant there to wash your feet and dry them when you walked into the door it was common courtesy when people would walk in the door to receive a kiss on one cheek or both cheeks as a signal of being welcome into the home. It was common courtesy to place small little droplets of oils on people's head or neck in order to add a better fragrance into the room. And so Jesus is saying, hey Simon, the godly man, the good guy that you think you are, you didn't even extend common courtesy to me. But this woman, she's just 
lavished love on me. Her tears were the water and her hair was the towel that washed my feet. She didn't just kiss my cheek, she kissed my feet. You didn't even offer me common oil for my head. She's poured out expensive alabaster oil on ointment on my feet. And so Jesus recognizes the lavish, lavish love that this woman was showing him. And the Lord Jesus begins to bring his words to a climax when he says this. Look at verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. She loved much. What a beautiful statement from Jesus, but it's a statement that can be misunderstood if we don't think through it properly. I want to help you not make a major error in your understanding here because the danger lies in the way that you understand the word for, F-O-R. Jesus said, her sins are forgiven, dash, for she loved much. What does that mean? Does it mean that her sins were forgiven because she loved much? Is it, is it her love and the dramatic expressions of it, the, the, the kissing of the feet and the, the washing with tears and the anointment with uh, alabaster uh, ointment? Is that, is that the cause of her forgiveness? Is that what's going on? Because here's the thing. If you read it that way, you will be absolutely wrong. And you will think to yourself, well, Jesus will... Forgive my sins if I just greatly love him. And if you're not careful, then soon you will think that it is your great love for Jesus, which is what causes the forgiveness of your sins. The quality of your love will never forgive your sins. It's the quality of Jesus' love for you. Jesus is not saying that her love for Jesus caused the forgiveness of her sin. Rather, he is saying that the forgiveness of her sin is what caused her love for Jesus. And that's why he emphasizes that very thing with his next point. He says this to Simon. He says, but he who is forgiven little loves little, right? The logic says that the forgiveness produces the love, right? Forgiveness comes first, then the amount of love. And you could say it this way in regards to the woman, the sinful woman. It's not just Simon, uh, hey, if you love little, it's because you've been forgiven little. That's, he could say it this way, he who is forgiven much loves much. And that's Jesus' point. It's the same point that he made earlier above in verses 42 and 43. Jesus asks, which one will love more? And the correct answer in verse 42 and 43 is the one who has been forgiven more. The forgiveness produces the love. The forgiveness comes before the love. And here's the thing that we have to understand. The more you understand the extent that Christ's forgiveness has been given to you, the more you will love him with your whole heart. He says to her in verse 48, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Guys, what a, isn't that such a beautiful declaration? Your sins are forgiven. This woman, can you imagine her hearing this? This woman who has been looked at with suspicion her whole life probably, at least for many years. This woman who was ashamed to be around religious crowds. This woman who had probably been belittled and demeaned and labeled. This woman who has been haunted and embarrassed and full of shame because of her choices. Now she hears from Jesus. 
Your sins are forgiven. Guys, that would be good, good news. What wonderful news to hear the declaration, your sins are forgiven. What a beautiful declaration. This is the most beautiful declaration you can hear. It's a better declaration than, hey, college students, congratulations, class of 2023. I know some of you are excited about that one. Man, there's a better declaration than that. Your sins have been forgiven. There's a better declaration than, I now pronounce you husband and wife. There's a better declaration than, congratulations, it's a boy or a girl or both. There's a better declaration than all of that, right? And it is that your sins are forgiven. It's the greatest declaration that you can hear. And this declaration of good news brought a response from the crowds at that dinner party, right? So look at verse 49 and 50. It says in verse 49, Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? See, in the Jewish culture, they knew that one person and one person alone could forgive sins, and that was God. So what is Jesus saying to the world when he says your sins are forgiven? He is saying, I am God, God the Son. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And let me tell you something, our God does not lie. Some of you may be in this room today and you may be thinking to yourself, I really struggle to believe that all my sins are forgiven. I really struggle to believe that God could forgive me of that. I want to tell you right now, our God does not lie. And when you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, he says to you, all your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. That's the truth. Now you must decide, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Jesus gives this wonderful declaration. People are saying, who is this that even forgives sins? I'll tell you the answer. It's God the Son. And God the Son, verse 50, looks at this woman and he says to her, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So she came to Jesus in faith, right? She came to Jesus in faith, and and Jesus says, your faith has saved you. She was saved, right? To be saved, it means that her sins were forgiven. She was rescued from the rightful judgment and condemnation that God will place against our sin. And she was forgiven, right? Though her sins were as scarlet, they're now made white as snow. Her sins were going to be separated from her as far as the east is from the west, which is an infinite separation. It meant that she could, because of Jesus, say that I'm a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away and all things are becoming new. She was saved. So she could go in peace. She could go in peace. And so to bring it home, I want to say this to you today. The same peace that Jesus granted to this sinful woman, that same peace can be yours today. That same peace can be yours through Jesus. Let me bring it home with two takeaway points for you. First one is this. Know this. If you struggle with guilt about your sin, Jesus will make you forgiven. If you struggle with guilt about your sin, Jesus will make you forgiven. Because here's the thing. In this story, catch this, there's only one person who is called a sinner, one person who is labeled as a sinner, and it's this woman. But the truth is that there are two sinners in this story. It's the woman and Simon the Pharisee, the unrighteous and the self-righteous. Both of them were sinners. And I want to tell you something right now. Everybody in this room, we are all sinners. Every one of us. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. Some of us are deeply aware of it. 
We know we are unrighteous and we wonder, how can God even forgive me? How can he accept me? Others of you in this room may be very self-righteous and you probably don't think of yourself as a very big sinner. You don't even realize how much that God had to uh, sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sin. And you might even think to yourself, you know what, God's, God's kind of, uh, he, you know, he's, he's kind of blessed to have me on his team. I'm a good person. There are two types of sinners the unrighteous and the self-righteous. We see them both in this story. But here's the thing you've got to understand. Only one person in the story was forgiven. It was the one who came to realize she was unrighteous. It was the woman who came to Jesus for the forgiveness of of her sins. And I want to say this. What applies to this woman applies to you too. If you come to Jesus, your sins will be forgiven. Every one of your sins will be forgiven. Whether it's a sexual sin that you regret, whether it's a reputation-ruining sin that has really tainted the way people think of you, whether it's a family-breaking sin that has just kind of really made things difficult in your home, whether it's something public or something private, something that's haunting you on the inside, whether you might think of it as a $60,000 sin or a $6,000 sin, no matter what, there is a debt that needs to be paid, and I'm telling you, Jesus came to pay it. And that's why he died on the cross, to pay your sin debt. The truth is, for each of us in this room, we owed a debt that we could not pay, but Jesus paid the debt that he did not owe. He did it for us all so that we can be forgiven. And by admitting your sin and believing upon Jesus Christ and calling out to him to be your Lord and Savior, your sins can be forgiven. If you struggle with guilt about your sin, no matter what sort of blemishes you have on your past, Jesus will cleanse you from all unrighteousness and you can be forgiven. That's the first takeaway. Here's the second takeaway for you today. If you struggle to think you belong in the church, Jesus will make you welcome. If you struggle to think you belong in the church, Jesus will make you welcome. Guys, this woman, she would have been, she would have felt rejected by every religious person in her life. They would have looked at her, labeled her a sinner. She would have thought, you know what, these people, here's how they think of me. They think of me as being too sinful, too dirty, too unclean, not pure enough, not godly enough, not righteous enough. And the truth is, that she did have many sins that she needed to have forgiven. And the church would have looked at her that way and labeled her that way. And she would have felt that way in and among the religious community until she met Jesus. And Jesus didn't turn her away. God the Son didn't reject her. He brought her in. He forgave her sins. And he welcomed her into his presence. And so what did she do? She started to lavish her love on him. She worshiped him. She honored him. She humbled herself before him. And she adored him with all of her heart. And she didn't care what it looked like in front of anybody else. She stopped caring about what her reputation used to be. She stopped caring how everybody else labeled her. And she came to meet the man who could change her. And so she praised him and worshiped him and poured her heart out to the one who had forgiven all of her sins. And I'm telling you, Jesus can do the same thing for you in this room. No matter who you are, Jesus can do the same thing for you. He will change you, forgive you, make you new, and suddenly you will find your heart pouring out in love for Jesus the way the woman poured out her alabaster ointment on Jesus' feet. 
And you will find moments where tears fill up your eyes and they start to drip down because your heart is so full of joy that your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would forgive a sinner like you. Your heart can be filled with love for him. Why? Why can you come to love this much? Because you will realize you have been forgiven much. You will come to love Jesus so much when you come to realize how much he loves you. He loves you. You may struggle to think you belong in the church, but Jesus makes you welcome. So church family, back to the original question. What would we do if someone labeled as a big sinner walked into this room? They weren't flaunting their sin. They were broken over it. What would we do? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to welcome them like Jesus. And we're going to point them to the one that can change their life. To the Jesus who says, come as you are, receive my love and leave changed. You don't have to be who you've always been. I can make you a new creation. We're going to point them to that Jesus. Where there is hope and joy for every sinner. And lest we forget, you want to know who all the big sinners are? Everybody in this room. Every one of us. If you want an example of this, we want to share with you the story of our friend Sophie, who's a member of our church. And so as we get ready to play this video, just a reminder to those of you parents who have young kiddos in the room, um, this is raw and transparent and very real. It's a powerful testimony. But if you have little ears that may be sensitive to this, comment, to this content, now would be the time for you to take them and step out. But I'll say this to you. I am so grateful that Sophie shared her story and I hope that you are blessed by hearing it today. Let's play her video. So I grew up in a Christian home doing all the church activities, but I can't say I was super invested. A really defining moment of my growing up was when I was 10 years old, my friend showed me porn. Of course, it's extremely confusing to a 10 year old, but also it fascinated me. So. From a young age, I got addicted to it. And man, with that comes a boatload of shame. It really distorted my sexuality. Um, man, how I viewed myself as a woman, how I viewed relationships, it, it set me on this trajectory of sexual sin. I spent a lot of time and energy on, you know, how can I make myself more pretty? How can I make myself more likable? God was a part of my life, but he wasn't the whole of my life. I had so much unconfessed sin in my life that it makes sense why I didn't get it. Because there's this huge barrier of idols and secret sin that I was just getting blocked by constantly. I got a soccer scholarship to go to Cedarville University. Now I'm surrounded by Christian professors, my soccer teammates, um, peers in class, and just kind of seeing this disconnect of like, huh, they really like seem to have joy. Their joy seems to come directly from knowing God, not for me, it was 
My joy came from everything else and then sometimes God. I was dating a non-believer for two years then and I'm like, I'll convert him. Really just trying to get closer to God but doing it out of my own strength. I would say within a couple months I was totally burnt out. Shocker, my <laughs> boyfriend did not convert from me. <laughs> um, and. It just, I was exhausted. I got extremely cynical. With that cynicism came just deep rebellion. I, you know, started partying. I started having sex with my boyfriend, giving up my friends who are walking with the Lord, who love me and care for me to hang with bad influence, who also, you know, are in the same boat as me. We're all just cynical and relishing in rebellion, trying to cope with our disconnect with God. Coming back my sophomore year of college, everything crumbled. My boyfriend, he went off the deep end, started partying, he started cheating on me, and that destroyed me because he had been my God at that point. I could not understand how I gave him everything and he, could do that to me. I really hit rock bottom. And I remember one night I was sitting in the parking lot. Um, so I started saying like, I wanna go home, I wanna go home, I wanna go home. And then I hear a voice that's not my own say, Sophie, I am your home. Come home, come home, come home. And I know it's God, I, without a doubt. Um, and so that night I go into my dorm room. I just remember saying, God, I, I don't know what to do. I am totally helpless. I am broken. I am hurt, but I need you. And I trust that you are home. What I decided was I'm just gonna read Psalm 25 every day to myself and trust that God will do what he needs to do with me. Slowly but surely, you know, God is just giving me doses of grace and truth every day. I realize I cannot put my identity in fallen people. I can't rest on what they think of me that doesn't bring peace, but with, you know, God, he's unchanging. That brings peace, that brings joy, that brings confidence. Now I am confronted with all my sin that I have never confessed. And it was overwhelming to say the least. I had met, you know, by God miraculously working this out, my now husband who I, we grew up in the same church, he was just radiating the joy of Christ. And I was fascinated by it because that's where I wanted to be headed. We got coffee. He did share his testimony with me. And at the end of it, he said, Sophie, you need to tell your parents. You need to tell your parents all that's happened. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll tell my parents where so much of um, my secret sin I'd sworn I would take to my grave. The next day, I call my mom and dad. And all of a sudden, I am overwhelmed. And I just start crying and I, come clean about the way I had been living, the drinking, the sleeping with my boyfriend, the struggling in school, and, you know, obviously it broke them. And the next day, 
I'm still, you know, I'm still wrestling with shame about all that had happened. My dad called me and he said, Sophie, I do not look at you differently. You are my daughter and I love you. And I just knew that is God's grace for me through my dad. And that just propelled me forward. That's when it really sank in that I am so loved and God has shown me grace, will show me grace. You know, I'm done trying to do everything on my own. I can't do it alone. I have to have other believers in my life and I have to be able to bring to light what I keep in the darkness. I have one learned the grace and protection of repentance, you know, between me and the Lord and then the grace and protection of confession between me and another believer. Satan wants us to think we are alone, and that is so not true. Um, I have found so many people who have the same struggles as me and want to see Christ healing. With the growth group, we all really value the vulnerability we can all bring to the table, and there's healing there. I once was in darkness, but now I'm in light. shares that time about her dad saying you're my daughter and I love you I just want to say maybe to some of you who are in this room and maybe you've professed Christ as your savior you've become a child of God but you have really messed up God says to you you are my child and I love you and some of you may be hesitant to come to the Lord in faith because you think you got to get your life cleaned up before you come and I just want to tell you come as you are Jesus died for sinners he died for you we have a wonderful savior and he changes people he changes people like Sophie and he changes people like me he'll change you changes people like the woman in this story. And I want to just say it out loud, like you may think of yourself as a great, great sinner, but Jesus is a great, great Savior. Jesus changes people, sinful people, and he'll change you. If you'll open up your heart to him today, come to him in faith, he'll change you. So here's what we're going to do. Like I said at the beginning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus to receive prayer, to come to him in faith, to receive him into your life if you've never done that before. So what I want to ask you to do is I want to ask everybody in this room to just bow your head right where you are. Just bow your head down, close your eyes. Give everybody in the room the privacy of this moment. With your head's bowed and your eyes closed, I just, I want you to listen for a moment to what God might be saying to your heart right now what the Holy Spirit might be speaking to your heart. Like Sophie said that in that moment in her car, like she had this, she had this voice that was like speaking to her that wasn't her own saying, come home, come home, come home. Maybe some of you are feeling something similar today. Maybe you can sense the voice of the Lord speaking to you. Maybe you've 
Maybe you have all sorts of mistakes you've made. You came in here carrying guilt and shame and you are burdened by the decisions of your past and guilt haunts you day by day. Maybe the sexual sins of your past are tearing you up. Maybe something's happened that's just wrecked your reputation. Maybe it's something that has just caused you to carry a cloud around you wherever you go that just seems like a darkness that won't lift off of you. Maybe some of you are like, you know what? I'm here today, but I feel like church is maybe like the last place I belong. I don't know how God could accept me. But at the same time, maybe you hear the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, just saying, he forgives you. He loves you. You can come to him. And if that's you in this moment, here's the simple thing I want to ask you to do. I just want to ask you to lift up your head and look at me. If God is speaking to your heart, if he's speaking to your heart, I want you to just lift your eyes and look at me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to ask you to come down front or anything like that. I just want you to look at me. I want to see you eye to eye. I want to see you. And I want to look at you and I want to say to you today that Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves you deeply. He loves you more than you can even understand. He came for sinful people. People like you, people like me. He came for you. And he gave his life for you. So my prayer for all of you who have looked at eye to eye in this room, my prayer is that you will open up your heart and receive the love of Jesus for whatever thing you're carrying around. In just a moment, I'm going to pray out loud. And after I pray, the worship team is going to lead us in singing. And during that song, here's what we want to give you an opportunity to do. We want to give you an opportunity to come and receive prayer. So if you feel like you need prayer, just make your way to the back center two doors of this sanctuary. And on the right-hand side and on the left-hand side, right out those back two doors, we have two prayer rooms. The room on the right will be for men. The room on the left will be for women. And if you're here and you're like, you know what? I just need prayer. I need to talk to somebody. I need to pray today and have that safety of confession or, or just talk and pray. We'll have men to pray with men, women to pray with women. We'll pray with you. Some of you are like, you know what? I need my sins forgiven. I need Jesus to come into my life and save me. But I don't even know what to do. I just know I need him. We have people who are going to be ready to talk with you and pray with you about how you can be saved and forgiven of your sin. But when we stand and begin to sing in just a moment after I pray, just step out of your seat, step out of your aisle. Nobody, Everyone's going to be cool with you stepping out of your aisle. None of us in here would ever. We would rejoice when we see people who are responding to the call of Jesus. So come for prayer if the Lord calls you and your heart to do that. Father God, I come to you in the mighty name of Jesus, the name above all names. I come to you in the loving, matchless, powerful, life-giving name of Jesus. And I just want to say thank you for your great love for sinful people. Thank you that you save us. 
you change us, that you make us new, that because of you, we don't always have to be who we've always been, that we can become new creations in Christ. And so for everybody whose eyes were open and looked at me, Lord, I pray that they would now see your loving gaze looking at them saying, I love you. And that in their heart, they would know that you just, you welcome them. And so, Lord, uh, I pray that however you're calling people to respond today, that we would respond sincerely with open hearts towards you. I pray this all in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand right where you are as we get ready to sing in just a moment. And right now, if you're part of our prayer team, um, I want to ask you to make your way back to those back rooms. If you are somebody who just says, you know what, I would love some prayer today. I need prayer today then you can make your way right back to these double doors. And again, men's uh, prayer room on the right, women's prayer room on the left. We, I'll be back there in just a second. When I come off the stage, I would love to meet with you, pray with you. We have other men and women who would do the same. So right now, if it's on your heart, don't hesitate, don't delay. This is something that the Lord has given you an opportunity to do this. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Today's the day. Today's the day. As you respond, we're gonna sing.